Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Show. My name's Josh Shaler, joined by Barton Simmons, Trey Scott, later by Connor Tapp. How are we doing today, guys? Doing well. Is this our, is this our last this show, our last show of, the year. of the year? Yeah, we have a lot of other things to work on. Wow. Um, All right. So, let's make it a good one, huh? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, is there anything to talk about? <laughs> Not really. Uh, hit us with your questions, <laughs> comments. I'll read those throughout the show, and of course, we will have a fan of the week. Can't wait for that. All right, right, so let's go ahead and get started, and we're going to start with the playoffs today. Uh, Top four stay the same. Jumbled mess kind of in behind it. Utah jumps up to five. Alabama falls to 12. How about that? Yeah, Alabama is going to the Citrus Bowl. (laughs) Well, yeah, so right now they're the New Year's Six. Um, So let's start here. So it kind of seems like maybe if – Georgia wins, the top four is going to stay the same. Right. Yes. So let's start there. Where do we see this going? Like, wh- like what's our prediction for the final playoff on Sunday? Yes. Okay. Barton? Uh, my prediction would be Ohio State 1, LSU 2, Clemson 3, Utah 4. You think Utah? I think you. Well, look, I think Utah will win. Okay. Um, they could lose. I don't think it's sure. a given, but I think Utah will win. And if Utah wins, I think, and again, if we assume LSU beats Georgia, I am making that assumption within this scenario. Sure. I think the I'm committee has already made a statement in terms of where it positions Utah relative to the Big 12 teams. And given the statement it's already made, barring some dramatic, uh, really like impressive over-the-top statement by the Big 12 champion, I think that, you know, a win over Oregon is is going to be comparable to a win over the Big 12 opponent, whoever that is. So, as Oklahoma and Baylor the last few weeks have forged on with their season with quality win opportunities over Texas and um, you know, Oklahoma State, I think it's becoming clear that the committee respects the Big 12 maybe more than we thought it did a month ago. And I think what we were all waiting for was the quality wins and the rising to start. And here we go. And now we've got a situation that sort of reminds me of a month ago when you had Alabama at five. And then you had two Pac-12 teams ranked right next to each other. And we said, okay, maybe they'll jump out. I, I think Oklahoma or Baylor, especially Oklahoma, I truly think the winner of that game will, will jump Utah. Should Jordan. Man, that's – I think – Look, here's, here's a scenario where I think it could happen, and, and which is not an unrealistic scenario. I think that there is a reality in which Oklahoma really puts a number on Baylor and wins by 24 points, um, something right. like that. Then, given that kind of a statement, and this, this scenario assumes that Utah skates by Oregon, wins by maybe a touchdown, then I think – you could make a case then, I think the committee might in fact make that case that Oklahoma, given the way it's finished, given who it's beaten, um, could jump Utah. But I just, 
Like you gotta, like the committee has opinions. And if the committee felt like Oklahoma was better than Utah, I think they would have positioned it there before now. And so you have to, to me, it has to be something that changes their mind. It's not just like plugging it into a calculator calculator and the formula spits out oh now that Oklahoma has played another top 10 team now you have to slot it higher I think this is all subjective and the opinions have already been stated by the committee in terms of where it places Utah and where it places Oklahoma and I think this is this is key when you listen to Rob Mullins talk Mm -hmm. he never misses an opportunity to say Utah's loss was on the road on a Friday night against USC with their best player injured that is something the committee has always taken into account as injuries. Right. And when you and that is going to be a much more excusable loss than Oklahoma's loss. I just hate to live in a college football world in which Oklahoma could have four top 25 wins, gets left out of the playoff at the expense of a Utah team with one top See, 25 and that's fine. win. And that's fine. very similar losses because, yes, you say USC's top 25 at this point. Kansas State's probably 27. And I was surprised we didn't see the Wildcats in the top 25 this week. And that's Oklahoma's loss. I think, look, yes, if Oklahoma skates by or if Oklahoma has turnover issues as they've had in in weeks before Bedlam, leave Oklahoma out. But my expectation is, just going off of it, I think Jalen Hurts takes care of the football. I think they play well. CeeDee Lamb is back. Okay, a couple things. First of all, they have said, Rob Mullins has said, that while top 25 wins matter, they are, they are not limiting their evaluations of a team based on who they've beaten inside the top 25. They, if, if, if Kansas State is 27, mm-hmm. like you say, then the committee considers that. Like that, they take that like, it's not like once the tw- top 25 ends, like then everyone else drops off the face of the cliff and, and they're all horrible. No, I mean, the committee considers that a quality team that Oklahoma lost to. But again, Oklahoma doesn't have the baked-in excuse that Utah has in that loss. So I just, it's make two more points one is I I hear what you're saying in terms of this like Oklahoma's beating all these top Mm -hmm. 25 teams that's fine but but Utah has been dominating its opponents it's been winning in impressive fashion every game and I I have a real problem with the idea of this team deserves to go in because look at the teams it's beaten this team doesn't deserve to go in because it hasn't played anybody because these teams these players deserve to be rewarded on their play. We shouldn't be rewarding an athletic director for, for, for making the right schedule. We shouldn't be penalizing a, comp, a, a team because the other teams in their conference haven't played up to standard. Well, I'm glad you said that because that's actually – I see the other side of the equation when I've, I said a few days ago that Clemson's in regardless of what happened Saturday. I agree with On that. the exact same argument. I, and I agree with that. On the exact same argument that this is you know, one of the th- top three teams in football, I believe, are locked in. So if you're putting Utah in over Oklahoma – by basis of you believe truly that they are a better college football team, then you can throw out like the top 25 wins or the top 25 losses because it's my understanding that the committee, if they truly believe a team is way better, it doesn't. they don't take into account any of the other stuff. It's just who are the four best teams in college football. My opinion is that Utah is not one of them, and maybe I have some bias about what we saw uh, from Washington in 2016. Maybe I have some bias when it's, it's been clear – uh, are we sure Notre Dame belongs in the playoff? Are we sure the Pac-12 belongs in the playoff? And then you see them get blown out. So, hey, I'm a little bit scared of Utah. Maybe it's because I don't know them enough. Last point I'll make on this topic. We sat here and had this heated discussion about 
Utah, Oklahoma, resume, mm -hmm. top 25. Baylor's just chilling out here. And, like, whenever this conversation comes up, it's always framed as Oklahoma versus Utah. And it's understandable, but Baylor had Oklahoma on the ropes. Baylor is playing as well as anybody, at, like, in, on the back end of the season here. They are accelerating to the finish line. Um, I, I, I also think Baylor would have a case to make when you consider Baylor will have been the only team outside of that top three that has beaten everyone on their schedule. They are playing well. They are a complete team, which is another catch, you know, catchy term that Rob Mullins has used consistently when talking about Ohio State and others. So uh, I, th I think we should all be careful not to dismiss Baylor in this. I absolutely agree with you. They have a chance to negate the only loss on their, on their schedule. And unlike Utah, and Oklahoma, which are talking about, well, my loss was in the top 25, mine wasn't, Baylor's loss was in the top 10. And so the real strength of the Big 12's position here is that either Baylor or Oklahoma are definitely going to win this game. But for the Pac-12, like, they're counting on Utah. And even if you're picking Utah, like a couple of us are, like, we're talking about a 60-40, 70-30 proposition. But, like, the Big 12 is definitely going to have a team that ends up with an argument here. Yeah, that, that, that's... We'll, we'll, we'll make our picks, but uh, it does feel like um, just like a couple weeks ago when we talked about the Pac-12 and it's all so clean and tidy and two 11-1 teams playing in the Pac-12 championship game and we're having all these preemptive debates about Utah versus Oklahoma, Utah versus Baylor. Uh, the one fly in the ointment here is that Oregon's a pretty good team. Mm -hmm. Utah could lose this thing and the committee gets bailed out once again. Before we move on, I want to ask you uh, about Dabo's comments uh, earlier in the week about, you know, Georgia losing to that same South Carolina team that they just crushed, and they would have been penalized for it. I mean, you, what do you think about it? I, mean, Trey, you, I, think you, I, I like that you brought that. this big, up. Big yeah. Clemson guy the over big here. Big Clemson <laughs> guy. And, and can we take a moment? Who did have Clemson number one all the way back in October, and who had him seven? So Dabo is speaking to you. <laughs> no, Dabo, no, he's not. Dabo's no, he's talking not. to the guys. He wanted no. to the okay. We did the College of all show. Right. We, yeah, thank you, Josh, for getting us going. Yeah, we did, this, oh, who are <laughs> midseason top teams, and – Oh, you know, the great Barton Simmons has spoken. He's got the Tigers at six. I think that's who Dabo's talking to. And, and of course, yes, Clemson's roster, this team feeds off of him saying, no one's believing in you. No one's right. believing in you. And, hey, three of their starter, four of their starters on defense were three stars. Some of these guys do have a chip on their shoulder. I think it was great that Clemson opened the playoff rankings at five. That was the best thing Dabo Swinney could have asked for. I, I know what he's doing. And I, I understand he's keeping his team motivated, but I also have a hard time disagreeing with him. <laughs> um, all right, look. The, Dabo is talking to his team. Yeah. He's keeping them motivated. And I can respect whatever motivational tactic, whatever focusing mechanism he needs to use to keep his team motivated. Do what you got to do. As a head coach, you're a... a Dang good one. However, I am also allowed to think it is obnoxious and exhausting that this continues to be a talking point. Because for you to say that he is talking to me, I did have Clemson outside the top four back in September, back in maybe even early October, when Clemson was not playing sharp offensively, almost lost to what we consider to be a bad North Carolina team who has only risen to be mediocre this year. They are decidedly average based on the schedule. And at that point, when we were judging Clemson 
comparing Clemson to Ohio State, LSU, Georgia, and the others, Wisconsin, who was blowing teams out, that's where the Clemson, Clemson deserved to be. But Dabo is making his point and chasing ghosts that aren't there at this point. Other than Paul Feinbaum, who's just out there trolling people, no one thinks Clemson is, isn't one of the best teams in the country. I think Clemson is going to win the national championship. I've said it. I, a lot of people have said it. I think Clemson also deserves to be third right now because it's, it's, it's a bunch of really good resumes, and Clemson's the only one with a, a near loss on it compared to the top three. That's fine. There's an element of earn that should go into this. But to act like Clemson is being discounted or disrespected or that Clemson uh, – people are – trying to put Georgia in over Clemson. It's, it's all nonsense because no one, no one in the country doesn't want Clemson in the playoffs. No one in the country thinks Clemson isn't, isn't good enough. And if Clemson loses, they would still get in, regardless of what Davos Winnie thinks. It is interesting that Clemson's really started to play well since mid-October when like the, all the mid-season stuff started coming out. The AP poll, I, I believe Clemson eventually drops to four. Clemson really picks it up when the playoff rankings come out in their five. They didn't have any of that type of motivation in week one. You want to know why no one's talking about Clemson and, 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 and why these guys aren't uh, in Heisman candidacies and playoff candidacies or uh, yeah. player of the year candidacies yeah. is because they're blowing teams out. And what is there to talk about when you beat everyone by 40? That's not, a, that's no, that's not disrespectful to Clemson, but on a weekend of a bunch of games of LSU playing Florida, of Auburn playing Alabama and Clemson beating Wake Forest by 38, what are we going to talk about? And so you're right. He's, he's right to the extent of, hey, Trevor Lawrence is playing as well as anyone in the country. Travis Etienne may be the best running back in the country. But you're a victim of your success in that regard, and that's unfortunate for those guys in terms of their awards. But in terms of the respect anyone has for the team of Clemson, there is none of it. Everyone thinks Clemson is an absolute juggernaut. And, uh, uh an aspect of Dabo's comments that like really made this irritating, I think, to a lot of people was that he played up this contrast between Clemson and Georgia and Georgia, people trying to get one loss Georgia in the playoff at the expense of Clemson, which I don't think has ever been a thing that people were trying to do. And the, at the time Georgia lost, like we, the playoff top 25 wasn't even out yet, and Clemson has never been behind Georgia since the, top, the playoff committee has started putting out rankings. Yeah, and, and I, I really think all of this, this is just him venting about the narrative in September. And the narrative in September was fair. Clemson's defense has always been elite from, from play one, day one. But, but, but Clemson's offense in the first month of the season was still better than 120 offenses in the country probably, but it wasn't better than the other offenses that were ranked above it. Like it wasn't playing at that elite level that LSU, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and the others were playing. The narrative since September has changed because Clemson has played better and now they are playing as good or better than anyone in the country and now everyone has changed their tune except for Dabo. I think, it's, and we'll move on. One sense of frustration for, for Clemson. For, Speak as a Clemson yeah, fan that you okay. <laughs> so let's be honest. A lot of the Clemson isn't playing well narrative was people looking at Trevor Lawrence's stat line because they weren't watching the games and people watching the one game, North Carolina. Because, oh, Twitter's blowing up. 
Clemson's in a dogfight in the fourth quarter. Let's watch it. All right, so by the first month of the college football season, we know what? That the guy we spent all offseason saying is the next Peyton Manning has an 8-7 to seven touchdown and interception ratio. Not good. Okay, the number one team in the country preseason just lost to North Carolina. Not good. I think those were the only two points that anyone had of Clemson. Was Trevor Lawrence's stat line on Sunday morning when they look on ESPN.com and the game they watch against North Carolina. I think this team has been playing well the entire time. They haven't I mean, played well. Every they haven't been playing it. well. Right. But they've been compared to the top teams in the country. Well, and when you're comparing, when you're parsing out one, two, three, four, five, six in September with a very limited body of work, you are allowed to put the teams that play best. You can put uh, Minnesota at three if you want, if they're play, if they're blowing teams out, if they weren't. But I'm just saying it doesn't matter who you put three because the cream rises, it all sorts out, and it has. We see things differently as far as what should a midseason team look like. Right. I'm just you saying, think the Clemson uh, should have been number one be, because yes, they won because all the games of, last yeah, year. Yeah, because January was the fact that this away. is a different team. And in fact, this might be a better team. They're playing right now like it is a better yeah. team. So, But in September, it wasn't. But because it is a different team, a new team, it needed September to get through some of those kinks offensively. And now look where we are, and it's more efficient than ever. Defense is, is, is putting up better numbers than even last year's unit. And it is looking like a team capable and probable. I don't know about probable, but certainly capable and, and a really strong contender to play a national championship. And that number one seed is critical because no one wants to play Clemson. Maybe Davo wants the number one seed. I don't know. I'll just say that the Clemson is not the only undefeated team in the top four that the committee has shown a willingness to move down, even though they keep winning. LSU's moved down as their defense has looked a little suspect. Yes, you've also that's been concurrent with Ohio State adding impressive bullet points to its resume. But I don't I don't think Clemson is the only team that's kind of uh, been a victim of this, I guess. We'll talk <laughs> New Year's Six? Or? Sure, just like throw it out there, yeah. New Year's Six. That was good stuff. Okay, so let's, uh, I believe we do have a graphic showing what the uh, projections are. So Oklahoma, Georgia in the Sugar Bowl, uh, Virginia, Florida in the Orange Bowl, the Rose Bowl is Penn State, Oregon, Memphis, and Baylor in the Cotton Bowl. This is uh, projections of Brad Crawford at 24-7 Sports. He does bowl projections so no every week. New Year's Six for Bama. Yeah. yeah. Should we, can we, like, we should spend like a minute on Bama? Yeah. I, I think, think so, sure. because this 2017 class is a top five recruiting class of all time. Barton, you said on Twitter, man, if you had told me that they wouldn't have made the playoff this year, it's wild. They didn't even make the New Year's six. If you had told me that they were going to lose two regular season games, that would be mind-blowing to me, knowing how good that class was coming in. And I do think that an interesting trait to that class even in retrospect, not in, not necessarily in real time, but in retrospect, that class is as talented as we thought it was, mm. but all the hits are at receiver, running back, quarterback, all the skill positions. And what do you mean hits? The guys that the guys that panned out were really successful. Okay. The, like the you best got your players, two tackles though. The best players from that class. Yeah, you have, so okay, you're right. But the best players from that class largely yes, the are, are the marquee skill players. Seven on 17. You got Alex Leatherwood and Jedrick Willis, so that's fair. But I, but like comparing that group, and look, I think Alabama, if Tua was in, probably still beats Auburn. But comparing that group to, say, Auburn's 2016-2017 haul, which was sort of ho-hum from a skill position standpoint, but had the defensive like line. Marlon, or Derek that, Brown, that, Marlon Davidson. Nick Coe, okay. all those guys. Big Cat Bryant. Um, I just think that's interesting. You know, not kind of neither here nor there, but just, you know, when Al as Alabama has been built on really defensive front seven, um, and you looked at 
now the year where it misses the playoffs, where is the where is really the weakness of that Alabama team? It's probably defensive front seven. Two questions. Uh, first of all, just a small one: Is the dynasty dead? Second of all, does Nick Saban retool the way he recruits or builds his team? The first one's a joke. Yeah, the dynasty yeah, yeah. is probably never gonna. It's never gonna be what it was 2010 to 2011, 2012, whatever. Yeah, the dynasty will not be die as long as Nick Saban is there. Okay, uh, I'm convinced of that. But um, could 10-3 now be the new standard, the new reality? Could what? 10 and three. No. Okay. No, I think they'll still. I think Alabama is going to continue to be a playoff contender, and it's going to continue to be a disappointment if it doesn't make the playoffs. Um, it's, but I do think it's getting harder. So it's less about Alabama dropping. I think more teams are more equipped to raise their bar to Alabama standards, and so it's going to continue to get harder um, and harder every year. Um, the does he change the way he tools his roster? I think that's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's. Look, I mean, everyone is, is running the, the, the pass happy wide open stuff right now. Alabama has bought into it. Alabama has a quarterback coming in that is capable of continuing in that, in that um, mode. Bryce Young. Bryce Young. But I, I think defensively, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Defensively, yeah. um, you know, they've gotten very national in the way they've recruited. Um, I guess I don't have an answer for you other than it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch because you've got to imagine there will be adjustments made. For anyone who says the dynasty's over, look at what it took for Alabama to not make the playoff. Okay. Throw out the Auburn game. A, a pick six. You know, two pick sixes, actually. A, a shanked field goal. Crazy whatever ball goes off Najee's butt. You've got a Tua injury. You've got a Dylan Moses injury that happened in August. You've got a once-in-a-program history situation happening at LSU in which Joe Burrow rises from the ashes of LSU quarterback mediocrity and becomes the Heisman winner. All of that had to happen just for Bama to miss a playoff for the first time ever. So I, I don't know how the dynasty could possibly be dead. It's uh, not dead. I think this is just an overreaction. Well, we, we like to do this one. Well, Bama. right. But, I mean, this is the first year in the playoff, since the playoffs has been in, around that they're, they're out. Yeah. So I just think it's a little like this. But I will say this. There always is, there's been this doom feeling around this program this year because of their defense has been, you know, not very good. Right. You know, so – you know, people have been down on them, but I think it's ridiculous to think they're not going to be back in the future. Well, at any rate, that really awesome era of Alabama football is over in which you have maybe six or seven first-round picks, and it's wild that they have one national title to show for it, and that came, you know, on the heels of a two backup second-half performance in which, you know, Judy and Devontae Smith and Ruggs were all freshmen. So. Let's, uh, let's throw the graphic back up. I want to ask the guys, is there a particular matchup, you know, the projected <laughs> matchup here that – you might be excited to see. I'm, I'm excited to see all of them except Virginia, Florida. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the the Sugar Bowl rematch from the Orange, from the Rose Bowl a few years ago would be would be really fun. Um, I think Penn State, Oregon is a fascinating matchup, uh, particularly with that offensive line against that defensive front for Penn State. Uh, you know, Memphis are they going to be playing with an interim coach in that game? Uh, that that could be fun, and then. Yeah, we'll see what Virginia can do this weekend against Clemson, see if they can get me excited for, Florida, for a Florida-Virginia matchup. But, uh, um, yeah, those are, those are cool fun. Good for you. I definitely won't watch Florida-Virginia. Um, would have to catch Baylor-Memphis uh, on a good day. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, no, I, I think that, hey, you'd, you'd be watching two of the hot names and coaching, potentially. Um, and uh, there's still a lot of NFL guys on the field. Well, that's a great segue. Mike Norvell, coaching carousel. It's picking up, right? That's our next segment.
Yeah, I was going to throw some questions. But oh, yeah, hit us with questions. We, That's a tease. We're coming tease. back to the coaching mm -hmm. carousel. We'll tease there. Yeah, yeah. Connor, how are we doing on questions? Yeah, so William Pitts is a Michigan fan. He says something's got to change for Michigan soon. What is that change going to be? Does it? Yeah, this is a very interesting um, discussion here. I don't. I, I disagree that something has to change for yeah. Michigan. Unf here's a, the unfortunate predicament that Michigan is in right now is it's a really good team, it's playing really good football. It is playing at a, a level uh, higher than any point in sort of recent Michigan history um, in terms of that consistency and continuity. Uh, and yet the most important game on the schedule is against an Ohio State team that is just absolutely off the charts right now, year over year, the way it's recruiting, uh, the way it's producing, developing, playing. So like, just, it's, it's, the problem is not Michigan. The problem is how good Ohio State is. Michigan fans probably don't want to hear that. Um, but I, I do think probably if you're looking for just what is the solution here, I think I do think the, the recruiting element is, you, you know, you got to stop getting beat by Ohio State in recruiting. And that's 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 a that's not an easy Good luck. fix, right? <laughs> I feel bad for Michigan. Their rival is the one team that in our lifetimes has barely been average, like ever. Like when is Ohio State bad? I guess Luke, the last bad Ohio State team was Luke Fickle had to be the interim coach of that in like 2010. Like think of your teams that you root for. I don't know if Harvard's ever any good. Like <laughs> it's the rivalries don't go linear for 30 years like this. Like. This is tough. Your arch rival is consistently, probably, in the last 20 years, the most consistent team in college football. So well, here's the thing about, about Michigan, though, that, that I, I, if you're a Michigan fan, you're most frustrated with, or I am if I'm a Michigan fan, is because I, I would compare Michigan to a few other programs that might are, are, may not be up to expectations for Michigan, but still really good. I would compare Michigan to Washington, mm. who is playing – really good football consistently, but just, you know, in a perennial playoff contender. I would compare Michigan to Auburn. That's a hot mm. comparison right? for little brother teams. So, so, wow. <laughs> it is. So, 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 but here's the problem. Like, Michigan would probably take that Auburn comparison if Michigan could knock off Ohio State. Just every six years. Like, Auburn isn't a perennial playoff contender, but every time the Iron Bowl rolls around, Auburn is a threat to beat Alabama. Mm. And... Michigan has yet to be a – I mean, they have. They almost beat Ohio State close. What, three years ago. Four uh, and three. But it's just they're not a threat perennially to beat Ohio State. So when you say the Auburn thing, I think coaching. Because Gus Malzahn is the only guy who sort of goes into his bag of tricks and pulls out all the beat save and stuff. And, yeah, they get lucky. I mean, no – that was the most Iron Bowl game ever. That's the only way Auburn would have won that game. It's at Jordan-Hare. They get some lucky, iconically named plays. Is Jim Harbaugh – is he the guy? Well, there was, a, there was a time in the 90s where Ohio State couldn't beat Michigan, and they fired John Cooper for – Ohio State did. So, I mean, yeah, you can go back to that too. I just – you know, I think Jim Harbaugh is the guy to, to have Michigan winning 10 games because there's been guys who have Michigan winning six or seven. They're, I think Michigan's just going to have to live with the fact that they are witnessing an iconic era of Ohio State football that's probably only going to keep getting better. All right, we got uh, Eddie McClure. He's a Clemson fan. He wants to know, is there any way we get to the end of conference championship weekend and it is not Ohio State or LSU but Clemson who gets the number one seed in the playoff? Right? Uh, it would have to take Ohio State losing 
and probably, well, I mean, certainly if, if Ohio State and, and LSU both lost, then Clemson would be up there. Uh, I'm trying to think if Ohio State lost, is there any way Clemson could jump a winning LSU team? I think probably not. LSU would, what, what would Clemson, LSU have to do, win like 45-40? <clears throat> yeah, it would have to be a high, you're right. Because usually you'd say LSU would have to win an ugly one. Right. But right now, they would love for LSU to win an ugly one. They would right. probably be like, ooh, another shootout, LSU? Right. You let Georgia score 40 on you? Yeah, so. yeah. That's, I think that, yeah, I think that is conceivable. Uh, if Ohio, but Ohio State would have to lose. Look, I don't think there's a scenario no. where Ohio State wins that Clemson would jump Ohio State. I kind, I, I believe part of Dabo's stuff recently is trying to, hey, we're here for the one seed if you guys want to give it to us. Right. Stop assuming we have to be three. Right. Uh, Cole Talbot Piers asks if, conversely, if LFU, L, if LSU has another showing against Georgia like they did against Texas A&M, do they have a shot at jumping Ohio State? That's, that's a good question. Tail, that's the question we've been wondering about for a month. Probably. I think they probably could. I think because I mean, Georgia's sitting there at four. And if you beat the number four team. 50 to seven. 50 to seven. Or let's just say 35 to 10. 10. Uh, and Ohio State doesn't blow out, like wins by 13 yeah. over Wisconsin. I could see that. Yeah, I think Ohio State's shot at number one sort of got dinged a little bit when Wisconsin beat Minnesota because Ohio State's already beat Wisconsin, and Minnesota naturally would have ranked a little bit higher. Mm. Barton, uh, do you previously on this show you've said that you think part of the reason LSU's defense hasn't lived up to its talent level is just because the offense is so good, the level of focus doesn't have to be there down in, down out for the defense. Do you think what we saw in Texas A&M was like, them just realizing that this was a concern, this is something that was they're getting dinged for, and kind of having a renewed intensity. Or so I was, I was talking to somebody this week, um, and apparently the 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 focus in the building at LSU, like the A and M game, was more important to LSU this year than the Alabama game. Like they just because of what happened last year, and that the way they lost it in seven overtimes and the uh, extracurriculars on the field after the game. LSU just really wanted this game. And I think that, yeah, I think that perhaps could be a little bit of an indicator of if this team is really dialed in and focused, that is what this team can accomplish defensively. That said, I don't think A&M has an offense that's really that tough to defend. It doesn't, I mean, they don't really create a whole lot of issues for you defensively and so it's a like I while Georgia isn't all that different in terms of being a dynamic offense that puts you in binds um, I think they're probably a little more equipped to put up points than A&M is the last question we've got for now comes from Joshua Blanton who asks should Tua come back oh man good question Tua was Interesting in his interview with Kirk Herbstreit. Yeah, I, I missed that. Did, okay. What did he, what did he He, like, say? really did a nice job of laying out both sides of the argument to the fact where I was like, oh, like, why have we been wasting breath talking about this? He was like, you know what? They haven't seen me play on this hip. Like, I could go, I, I could go to the NFL, and I could get drafted in the first round, but I could be so low that I, there's money I never make back. Or I could go to college and lose a year of earnings. Like, it was just a really well, you know, thought out, nuanced discussion. I think he's talking to the media today, uh, Thursday, if you're listening to this on the podcast tomorrow, 
Uh, he'll be talking to the media today. I don't think making an announcement. I think just discussing it. I think he's gone, but I think he did a nice job of like laying out his options. All right, let's move on. Let's go ahead and talk what we were talking earlier, the coaching carousel. And let's start with this. Uh, USC announced yesterday that Clay Helton will return next year on the sidelines. Uh, fellas, what are your thoughts on this? Because to me, it seems like the administration for USC has really botched this. Yeah. Um, kind of basically held their, you know, the coaching staff hostage recruiting-wise. I think it's a disaster. I think not just the fact that you're bringing back Clay Helton, who has gone 13 11 the last two seasons at a job that, like, one of us could probably win games at. The way they handled it has killed their recruiting efforts. They're 67th in the country because Clay Helton's been a lame duck head coach all fall. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's any faith now in recruits, in not only the 2020 class, but the 2021 class, in thinking, oh, USC took 11 days to announce that he's coming back? I bet they don't do this again next year. This is a mess. We have the exact same thing that happened last year happening again. It's, it's easy for us to play like fantasy football with this and say, fire Clay Helton, get a good coach, USC, problem solved. The, the, the issue is that you have an athletic director that's taking over with a not only a, a football program, but an athletic department and a, and a school with a host of issues it has to address, not to mention the fact that in the midst of that, USC has to pay Clay Helton a reported, uh, in addition to his staff, close to 20 million in a buyout. So that is, I think, an element of this at play that is really difficult to square. Not to mention that I am under the assumption that either Urban Meyer isn't interested. Mm -hmm. uh, the president isn't comfortable hiring Urban Meyer, or that's just not going to be there. And I think the same thing could be um, said about James Franklin. I, if, look, if the, I, I think if they felt like they could get a deal done with James Franklin, uh, they probably would, would make a move. But I, I'm skeptical they could make a deal with James Franklin because of the money, because of not just being willing to pay James Franklin, but being willing to promise James Franklin the administrative support and uh, the resources to build out the, the, the football program in the way he would want to, because USC has some making up to do in terms of off-field uh, um, support and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Buy-in? Well, well, maybe, but infrastructure okay. is, what, is what I'm looking for. And so I, I think there's just a lot going on that USC has to fix before it can make a move with Clay Helton. And, and look, Clay Helton can step in next year and they could be successful because they have a good team. They have good players. He got them to play hard this year. He did. Uh, and, and so what happens if you fire Clay Helton and then you go down this rabbit hole of who is – who? like do you really want to start chasing uh, a bunch of no's like Florida State has done and land with uh, an AAC coach? I think at USC, like, you need to be confident in who you can land. So, look, ideally, yes, Clay Helton is gone, but I, I can, uh, I can um, understand and appreciate the, the challenges of this decision. Let's, let's talk about, how about, let's, where, where is Florida State right now in the search? Uh, they better be close. They better be winding this thing the down. The word is they're going to have a hire this weekend. That makes all of us think it's Mike Norvell at Memphis who plays in the American Championship game this weekend. So, I mean, there's been a lot of, co like, 
kind of su some surprising coaching carousel movements recently. Missouri was a surprise. Ole Miss was kind of a surprise. Well, not after the Egg Bowl and Elijah Moore did his thing. Boston College was somewhat of a surprise. And none of those spots have been filled. And now those teams are jockeying, not with like the Florida States of the world, but the Arkansas of the world. You know, like the Florida State and Arkansas supposedly got a jump on the coaching carousel by firing their coaches midseason. And there's no, like there's no movement here. So the only thing that would make sense for Florida State is remember when Scott Frost went to Nebraska, it was announced like the evening after he won the American Championship at UCF. Like that might be what happens with Mike Norvell. But you got schools like Florida State and Arkansas who are at no advantage for firing their coach early. As for the other schools like Lane Kiffin's an option at Arkansas or Ole Miss, Willie Fritz, Billy Napier. And Mike Leach took his name out of the running today because he just got an extension. Yeah, oh, not, saying that, yeah. That, oh, not wow. that he's that, – No, I, I think no. You know, that was a name of – that was certainly a name of interest, particularly at Arkansas. Um, I think everyone's trying to figure out how to navigate these coaching changes with the early signing period, and an athletic director is trying to figure out how to best handle these. And um, I, I'm at the point where the only uh, value and benefit you get out of firing a coach during the season or early is you if you're ready to move on you don't give him an opportunity to, to earn the job back mm. you don't give him an opportunity to sort of um, save face late in the year and make you know make you look bad for firing yeah but in terms of because right now Arkansas I mean Arkansas has six commits um, it, they're ranked 119th in the country in recruiting rankings they lost eight commits like the week Chad Morris got fired. Uh, so, so, and here they are with no hire. And so, and I, and I would imagine that the reason you're making a, a change is because you want to have a hire in place before the season. I think you can do some due diligence on these guys without, uh, without actually doing interviews. Um, and no one's going to obviously accept the job while their season is going on. So it's, it's been a tricky spot. I think at this point we're, all right, Florida State, it's looking like Mike Norvell is the is sort of the lead candidate. Who else? Know, you know, who knows what else is going on behind the scenes? Maybe Luke Fickle has a shot. Um, there, there's you know there's a couple other names that have floated around. Uh, Arkansas, late lot of Lane Kiffin buzz. Yeah, who also has a championship game this weekend? Right. Uh, Ole Miss would love Norvell. It sounds like if he doesn't get Florida State. If not, Billy Napier and Lane Kiffin appear to be good shots. Missouri. Um, seems to want an offensive guy, maybe an established guy like Willie Fritz is, is sort of a cheaper. Yeah, it seems seems like yeah, someone on uh, a bargain guy, perhaps. Um, Boston College is looking at a lot of uh, coordinators and assistant coaches. It appears with Ohio State ties. Jeff Halfley. Jeff Halfley. Um, so there, there are some very interesting hires out there, and, and Washington, the one that's got it done there with Jimmy Lake. What happened to Matt Campbell? Why is he just not in the? the talk anymore well he just he signs an extension but the the talk with Iowa State's Matt Campbell for the last few years has been he's not leaving unless it's a big time big 10 job or Notre Dame well it's fascinating to me that Matt Campbell like let's just like let's go back seven years mm -hmm. and and I'm gonna tell you seven years ago that the head coach at Iowa State is going to turn down Florida State to stay at Iowa State. Two years after not being interested in Tennessee. Like, I mean, he's, Matt Campbell has turned down plenty of jobs. Yeah. The only job that has come open in the last few years that Matt Campbell would have take, taken was Ohio State last year, in which Ryan Day was the natural interim successor.
I think Matt Campbell will take Oklahoma. I think that's big, big West or mid, Midwest enough for him. But would he take Texas? I don't know who would take Texas mm. right now. I don't know if Graham Harrell's taking Texas as the OC. We we can devote you know, a that, special. That, hey, we didn't talk about that because what's interesting about this USC situation is now now Clay Helton is is um, reaffirmed as the head coach, but very similar to the Cliff Kingsbury situation last year, a lot is riding on Graham Harrell remaining in that program and continuing that offensive development. If Graham Harrell were to somehow take that Texas gig and bounce, then that's that's an even bigger indictment on Clay Helton and the confidence in that program and the ability to recruit to that program over the next 12 months is going to even deteriorate further. Well, here's the thing. He needs to fire his D.C. too, Pendergrass, and they're alluding to changes. So then you've got the fact, if they lose Graham Harrell, that Clay Helton is the head coach in a CEO-type role. I believe that only works if they're recruiting well. If you're Ed Orgeron, you hire the best coordinators out there, and you go recruit. And good luck, hiring a, and good luck hiring a coordinator or an assistant coach on a, on a deal that looks like a you know, lame One duck year. situation. Yeah. Are you going to set me up? Yeah, so Josh's big bet. Colin, how how much money is Josh out right I'm now? I'm even. You're even. I am even. On our I, last bet of the oh, season. I have I have caught back up. This is where it's all down well, the Well, how are we going to – What? Are we, wow. How are we going to have the viewers know if you win or lost? Well, maybe you could announce it on your podcast okay. or something. I will. I don't know. So, Josh, Merry Christmas. This is an easy one, and it's not a game this weekend. It's not a game. So is it uh, Army versus? How you just open your envelope? And I made a I made a line for you. Oh, yeah. This is easy. All you had to do. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's Read it out, please. Army versus Navy. It's a pick. Um, I'll take Navy. Why okay. did you give him a pick on an Army Navy when Navy is having a much better I year? I I think he's had a tough tough fall. I want. Well, how much are you gonna put on it? Uh, well, let's try to double. Wait, so I'm as even. You, you know what? I, I'm going to try to get back to 22000 That's the good. The original just, amount. You get just enough to buy a few hoodies. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> hoodies, watches, TVs. The disgust on Barton's face. You know, I've done a good job. What, what, like game, 17, would you, what game would you have picked? Yeah, I've done a good job 17 weeks. I can't give him a game on this schedule because he's already thought about it. I thought the Georgia-LSU game was coming. That would have been a tough one. Army-Navy, you never know what's going to happen. No, I, you never know. Also, maybe try to sneak it past Josh that Navy was good this year. I don't know. I don't know if he's paying attention to military academies, service academies. All right, take a palooza. It's hot take time. Trey, you want to go first? Yeah, we talked about this. It's a weird coaching carousel out there. We've got a lot of unsure names. Are, are they going to take the job or not? Like, what happens at UNLV? What happens at UTSA? I'm here to tell you that Joe Brady, LSU's co-offensive coordinator, 30-year-old passing the tech extraordinaire, is going to have a head coaching job next year. You like? Do you? I understand that this is a hot take. Do you believe Don't ask this? Me that. <laughs> like that's just throwing a take out there with with no. Like he's not going to be a head coach next Don't year. Don't ask right? you that. Why? Why? He should be. Someone should take a chance on Joe Brady. If FAU opens, you don't think FAU is going to take a chance He's on Joe be Brady? He's probably making close to two million dollars. Okay, so you don't think so if, Lane which, Kiffin, if Lane Kiffin goes to Arkansas and FAU is open? So thirty-year-old Joe Brady in his first year as a coordinator in college football is going to jump right into a AAC head coaching maybe gig while he's getting two million dollars. Maybe some guys. Really I mean, Lane jumped from the you know USC to the Raiders, the head coach. Yeah. So why not? Come on. All right. All right. Did you even make one? Yeah, I did. I got okay. got Colin a little late, I think. My take is that this <laughs> weekend, there will not be a single Whoa. close game all weekend. 
So are, are you trying to say you're not going to watch? I'm going to watch. I'm just saying there won't be. You might, if you're expecting a lot of drama this weekend, I think you're going to be disappointed. At what like hour of the day did you submit this take? Uh, about a, about about an hour ago. <laughs> I think you're in like a uh, kind of that football this season mood. I'm not. You, that's a very that's a very like oh, these games are not going to be good. Uh, Why do I have to do the show if the games aren't going to be good? I, I, I've never said that. I never said that. Uh, You're in recruiting I, mode, man. I, I just happen to believe that these games will not be close this Okay. Weekend. That's fair. <laughs> Connor, how are we doing on questions? Um, yeah, so let's see. We have a question. We've talked about Arkansas a little bit, but uh, Marquise Martin asks, uh, he's an Arkansas fan. He says, we need a home run Ooh. on this coaching hire. Who should we get? I don't know, man. You uh, know, I, I'll be honest with you. The Lane we, Kiffin stuff. Like, initially when the buzz started popping about Lane Kiffin, I, I, I almost rolled my eyes. I was like, are we really? Like, Lane Kiffin is going to be the answer? But the more I think about it, the more I think, like, Lane Kiffin could go to Arkansas and really be successful. Uh, there's, there, that is absolutely a swing for the fences kind of hire um, in the sense that you could totally whiff and it, it, it looks bad. And you're still at the same place you're at. But if you connect, you could be in really good shape in a couple years. Look at, look at LSU. Coach O, I mean, kind of born again type situation. You yeah. Know. He's learned. Kiffin's down there, learned how to run a program. He's had a, good, he's had a good year three. Yeah. Everyone, yeah. And he had a down year two. And everyone two. jumped on it and yeah. said, oh, year one was an aberration. Lane Kiffin can't coach. He's had a good year three. No one's talking about it. Yeah. And Trey and I were talking about this on the College Football Daily a few days ago that normally when you go out and make a celebrity hire that kind of like get your name, your school's name in the headline, it's an old coach like Les Miles, Mac Brown, but Lane Kiffin potentially brings like a, a celebrity, but also somebody who is still young enough that maybe there will be some forward thinking and innovation and that kind of thing. Yeah. Lane he's he's 44. 44. Yeah, that's crazy. He's lived a lot of football like life. Like five, like this is like be his fifth head coaching job if he jumps yeah. or something like that. A lot like of 44 years old. All right, uh, Jackie Lane is an Oklahoma fan uh, who Ooh. wants to know or says, I don't think the NCAA should ever go to more than an eight-team playoff. What is the perfect number? I go back and forth on this. I wish I wish I had some more conviction on this. Uh, but I'm very, I waffle on this. Mm. Um, six. I mean, all look five. If there is a playoff scenario in which we can get first round games on a college campus, that would be all worth it. Figure out a way to do that. And whether it's eight or six, I'm in. Um, but can I ask why? I just think that would be a, like the atmosphere on a college campus in the first uh, for a playoff game, schools out. Most stadiums don't sell alcohol. The infrastructure is not as nice. You think people? You think people aren't going to get excited to go to a playoff game? Yeah. Would you? Would that, okay? So I it would. would it, okay, I would hold strongly on. disagree. With okay, you. so if it was Ohio State versus Utah, it's in Columbus. Is it a ninety percent Buckeye fans, or do you kind of do it normal ticket a lot? No, no, you get, no. You're, oh. you're, you're, you get to like well, play for home field advantage. Oh my goodness! Just be like a playoff. Make game. it like six or eight, so that. I mean that's that's crazy. I actually think that would be awesome. Okay. Personally, but yeah, you know. I go that, six. That, I go six that, or five. I usually like if you're, four. Doing, if you're if you're if you're 
building in a home field advantage for the first round, then there is still a lot of motivation in a number of different ways, financially and, and from a competitive advantage, to have the best seeding. And, you know, that will create just as much um, debate and emphasis on what the seeds are as anything. Yeah. You know, imagine trying to go win on the road in a wild playoff atmosphere as a six seed or something. You know? my, yeah, my only take there is like one in four is already enough of a lopsided playoff game that we usually like, do we really need one versus four? You make that one have home field advantage, you got a snoozer. All right, the last question I've got for you guys before we get to the fan of the week comes from a second question from Cole Talbot Pierce, who asks, is USC's handling of the Clay Helton situation worse than the way LSU handled Les Miles? Uh, yes. I mean, Les Miles, like which time with Les Miles, I guess. Like, wouldn't they, they almost fired him the one time. And they were going to fire And then everyone sort of. They beat A&M. Like, yeah. Yeah, they were going to fire him, so they bring him back and then fire him by, like, late September. Yeah. It's pretty botched handling. Then they really kind of dragged the – Joe Oliva was not a popular man in Baton Rouge for a long time. No, he wasn't. They dragged out Coach Ho. They got lucky, to be honest with you. I, I, I think this – I think you can make a case that this has not been botched since Mike Bone has taken over. Like, you can make I, – I, I would make a case that Lynn Swan has botched this by giving Clay Helton an unreasonable extension – uh, by not making a move when he should have. Um, but I don't think that the new athletic director has botched this. I think that this is just a really difficult decision that he and he has taken a path that uh, a lot of fans wish he hadn't. But I think he knows that. He's, he's fully aware <laughs> that this was going to be a move that people were not going to be happy about. All right, let's get to the fan of the week. This week it is Timmy Lucas. His question is, what college football head coach could we see transfer over to the NFL? There's already two NFL head coaching jobs mm -hmm. open. I guess there's obvious answers here, of course. What are your obvious answers? Well, Lincoln Riley and Hardball. And Matt Rule. I think Matt Rule, to me, is, is the one that strikes me as most likely. Most likely. Because mm -hmm. Lincoln Riley would probably be the best fit. I mean, Lincoln Riley to Dallas is just a marriage made in heaven. But Matt Rule has interviewed for NFL jobs the last two seasons. Colton Jets. You don't think he's going to be a hot commodity right now after, you know, Baylor season if the Giants open up? But no. is Matt Rule, like, do you think Matt Rule or Lincoln Riley would be more successful at the NFL level? I actually think I have a – I kind of believe both would be successful. Because I don't know if I see the Matt Rule thing. I think he's more of a college fit. I think – look, I, this is – I mean, I, I think that he is – his players get better. Right, his teams get better. Oh yeah, they develop. Um, I don't like. I think Phil Snow, as defensive coordinator, is a really good schematic defensive coach. Um, I don't know whether Matt Rule is going to out X's and O's people in the NFL. Maybe he would. Like, I just don't really have the answer to that. But I think the proof is in the pudding in terms of the way he has built Temple and Baylor. He has a little taste of NFL and and and. I just think when you see the the steady progression, like doing it the, the hard way, so to speak, uh, like he's just not out there like out recruiting people. That's not why he's beating people. He's beating people because they are evaluating at a high level and really developing and coaching at a high level. That's ultimately what the NFL has got to be about. It's like the, the thin margins. Are you going to out coach and out develop your opponents? I think he 
potentially could do that. Interesting stuff. Uh, we think the coaching carousel is winding down. It might not be. All right, let's go ahead and get to the pickums, uh, the picks. Excuse me. Uh, has Barton? Have you run? Oh, Connor was ahead. Who was ahead? Oh, did I lose? Oh. Did I lose my lead? No, I, I can't doubt remember. It. I I had a brutal week. So Barton won. Barton, it, yeah. So yeah. well. It, my God. Yeah, sorry, guys. I I yeah. I Barton went from worst to first. Yeah, you were. You were last last year. Yeah, he was. Well, that's that's about getting better. It's about improvement, steady improvement, yeah. like Matt Rule. All right, let's go and get started. Number five, Utah is a six and a half point favorite. At, well, at not, number thirteen, Oregon. Whoops. I, not at. I've, that's what I got here. Yeah, I think uh, I'm going Utah. I think they're a complete team. I think the offense has taken some big steps forward. I'm excited to see them tested against the best team they've played all season. I'm going with the Utes. Utah has played two teams that rank in the top 20 of the talent composite. The both games have been close. Oregon is far more talented, and you might say Oregon has nothing to play for. That's not true. A Pac-12 championship means a lot to Mario Cristobal. A Rose Bowl means a lot. I'm going Ducks. Yeah, I mean, I think Oregon's capable of winning this game. Uh, I, I think it'll be a low-scoring physical game. This is The weather's going to be a little bit nasty, crosswinds, maybe spitting some rain. Uh, I, I just think Utah, because of that defensive line, because they have a, an identity, I think that they believe in a little more clear of an offensive identity. I, I think I trust Utah more. So I like Utah to win a close one. Just kind of feels like this is a spot where Oregon will win. Put a little, you know, throw a wrench in the whole thing. Get the Big 12 up there. I'm going to take Oregon. Louisiana at, oh, I keep saying that, number 21, Appalachian State. Yeah, I've... Uh can bear a firsthand witness to App State being very good, uh, having beaten my South Carolina Gamecocks. So I am going to go with the Mountaineers here. Appalachian State to win the Sun Belt. This is my upset pick here. Oh, uh, sexy. Billy Napier, uh, I think, pulls pulls an upset. Um, this is a rematch from last year. App State handled their business. I think, I think Louisiana is pretty good, um, and uh, they find a way to win. I'm going to take Appalachian State. The American Conference, the AAC, Cincinnati, number 17, Memphis. Memphis is a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah, so I, I went Cincinnati here with the underdog pick, thinking I still had a chance in hell at catching Barton, but it seems that I don't, so I didn't need to have done that. But that, that's why I picked Cincinnati. I went Memphis. Uh, they... One last week. I have a question that, like, Barton, when you played, did you guys ever have to play the same team twice in one season? Nope. I imagine that's difficult. I imagine it's extremely difficult to do that two weeks in a row. So there's some hesitancy here on my part. But Memphis has been the pick since September, August. Let's, let's go Tigers. So I, I actually like this element of playing Cincinnati twice. I think when you give Mike Norvell a look at a team um, and he gets to play them again, he's going to be able to put up a pretty big number on you, even with that – tough Cincinnati defense. So I think Memphis is going to score. Um, I, I think that uh, Cincinnati will not be able to keep pace. I like Memphis. I almost went Cincinnati. I think it's hard to beat a team twice, but therefore I'm going Memphis. Give me Memphis. The Big 12 championship, number seven Baylor, number five Oklahoma. Oklahoma's an eight and a half point favorite. Yeah, I think in the past couple of weeks we've seen kind of Oklahoma kind of adapt to some of its strengths and kind of work to hide some of Jalen Hurts' weaknesses that we've seen over the course of the season. So I am I think Oklahoma's playing his best football right now and I'm gonna go with the Sooners. 
Oklahoma will not turn the ball over the way they did against Baylor. CeeDee Lamb is playing unlike he did last time when they played on November 16th. I'm going Sooners. I think they know they need to make a statement. Jalen Hurts has the game of his season. Uh, Oklahoma big. Uh, I think I agree with you. You know, the difference between Oklahoma blowing teams out and playing teams close is turnovers. So, yes, Oklahoma could turn the ball over and Baylor could take get some takeaways and then this game um, maybe sneaks into a, a close one for four quarters. But I think if Oklahoma takes care of the football, Baylor does not have the horsepower to keep pace. Wow. I'm the only one picking Baylor here. Baylor had him on the ropes, had him down big and let, let him back in the game. I think they've been thinking about it. I think they want this game again. Baylor wins. Mountain West Championship, Hawaii versus number 19, Boise State. Boise State's a 13 and a half point favorite. Yeah, Boise State's had some turnover at the quarterback position this season with some injuries, but uh, Hawaii's defense is just too bad. I'm going with the Broncos. Jalen Henderson has done well for Boise State. I've been watching film of both of these teams the last few weeks trying to get a good grasp on this game. I'm going Bronco. <laughs> really digging in the film, yeah. team, huh? Okay. Uh, I like Boise State here, too. Uh, nice story, Hawaii. Nick Rolovich is, is a stud out there as their head coach, but um, I like Boise State on the blue turf. We'll make it a sweep, Boise State. Uh, ACC Championship, number 23, Virginia. Number three, Clemson. Clemson's a 28-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah, I mean, what do you want from me? Clemson's going to win. <laughs> They're really good in Virginia. Is, it's nice that they got in this far, but pretty pretty limited team when it comes to competing with a team like Clemson. First Clemson game we've picked since week two. Maybe Trevor Lawrence is such a good game that he gets a Heisman invite. Um, yeah, this is um, Clemson's obviously going to win. Uh, I also pick Clemson to cover. I think Ooh. this will be a Whoa. blowout. Okay. Yeah, Clemson a blowout. Big Ten Championship. Number one, Ohio State to 16.5 point favorite versus Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, uh, similar deal here, and, we, and we've seen this particular movie before. Ohio State's just too good, too complete. I mean, we have seen Justin Fields get kind of banged up in some of these games, so maybe if something like that happens, but Buckeyes. You wonder a little bit, having to play a team twice in the same season, have to beat the same team again. This That, that math has hurt teams in the past in conference championship games. I've seen it happen a lot. I don't think it happens on Saturday, but I think this one's kind of close for a little bit. All right. I think Ohio State wins. I think it could be kind of close for a little bit, too. But the, the way Ohio State works, though, is uh, they, they are so sound on every level of the defense, so many different ways they can beat you on offense that it can be close for a minute. But over the course of 60 minutes, they just wear teams down, and I, I just can't see Wisconsin keeping pace for 60 minutes. I think Ohio State crushes Wisconsin. SEC number four, Georgia versus number two, LSU. LSU is a seven-point favorite. Yeah, I mean, if Georgia's playmakers on offense weren't either suspended or injured, combination of the two, um, maybe you could spin a story about Georgia pulling off an upset here with a really solid defensive performance, but as it stands, I think LSU's going to win pretty big. The most insane stat of this college football season is that Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm hasn't completed over 50% of his passes since the world's largest outdoor cocktail party against Florida. Uh, and for an offense that certainly gives him a lot of easy and short throws, that's horrible. If Jake Fromm had been better this season, I would have picked Georgia, but he hasn't been. LSU wins. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I would love to try. I'm trying to figure out a way this game can be really close, and I'd love to see it. It'd be fun. Um, I hope Georgia makes this a really competitive game, but in my mind's eye, 
I just can't get there. I think LSU is just too explosive on offense. And even though Georgia is one of the best defenses it has faced, it may slow LSU down for a while, but I just don't think offensively it's going to be able to put up enough. I think LSU wins, uh, and I, I, I think they'll probably win decisively. I, I, I like LSU too, but I, I disagree a little bit. I think Georgia can hang with them a little bit for a while, maybe keep it close under seven. Uh, I, yeah, it just feels like some. this is like a spot where they're doubting Georgia, and I think Georgia can hang around. Jake Fromm has been good in that stadium. Right. Uh, all right, into the show, fellas. Uh, well, I, first of all, I can't believe the season's practically over. Uh, you want a hug? Handshake. Handshake. Good job. Good job, man. Yeah, great, great. Another Double great handed. By you. Uh, but uh, no, so maybe, I don't know. When, when are, we, are we coming back, what, next year? Are we going to do uh, yeah. a New Year's show? We've we got we a lot on the plate for the rest of 2019, so we'll tackle this in 2020. If you're in Atlanta tomorrow, uh, mm. come right. to our podcast live event with the College Football Daily. Uh, Connor, how could they access the information on that? Find us on Twitter. Find at Connor Tapp on Twitter and ask him how to, how to go to the event. Well, uh, that's um, all. It's Connor Tap 247. Yeah. Connor Tap is some like teenager in England or something. But, anyway. yeah. And if you guys want to get pictures with Connor and Trey, they're more than up for it. I mean, you guys. Um, more big, interesting big, than us, uh, uh, Shay Dixon from Go247 and the Go247 podcast will be there. Rusty Manzel of Dogs247 and the Junkyard Dogcast will be there, as well as uh, Rennie Curran, a former All-American linebacker from Georgia. It's BYOB. Uh, and last note, uh, someone says Barton's laptop looks rough. It has been quite <laughs> the college football season. Yeah, you took that sticker off. And, like, I was so, just noticing that. Hey, that's, that's, that's called effort. It's called working hard. It's grinding. It's grit. Yeah, grit. Yeah. Well, for Barton, for Trey, Connor, everybody in the back, Colin, Mike, uh, Boiler Heffern with questions. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.